open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 5. Acts, chapter 5. Do you ever get concerned that you will come to church, but you'll miss God? Does it ever cross your mind that, what if God doesn't show up here? Does he have to? I, I mean, it, it, it grieves my soul sometimes as I'm thinking, God, if you don't show up, we really don't have a point, do we? And so... How we show up affects a lot of how he shows up. Now, some of y'all believe that, do y'all? Surely it's more than just showing up, right? Surely it's more than just, I'm doing my religion today. I went to church, now God's got to bless me. Is that how we live? I think sometimes we do. But see, how you show up means everything. See, see, how do you enter into the presence of God? How do you access His presence? How do you secure the presence of God in your life? That is vitally important. Because, you see, those who do not understand that, they go through life with a religious preference, a denomination preference, but they never experience God. Now look what it says here in the book of Acts chapter 5. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I'm in the wrong chapter. <laughs> see, see, the word of God is infallible. Mark is fallible. All right. Chapter 5, I was in chapter 4, getting ready to go to town, and I thought, hmm, where'd that come from? But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie? to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land while it remained was it not thine own and after it was sold was it not in thine own power why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart that thou hast not lied unto men but unto God and Ananias hearing these words fell down and he gave up the ghost he died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Do you think that would be surprising? And the young men arose and wound him 
and carried him out and buried him. And in about the space of three hours, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and they shall carry thee out. And she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the men came in and found her dead, and they carried her forth, buried her by her husband, and great fear came upon all the church and upon many as heard these things. Verse 13 And of the rest, dress no man join himself to them. You want to stop church growth? Let a few people die during church, right? But do you know what's going on? Barnabas had sold a piece of property, gave it to the apostles to distribute how the need would arise. Ananias and Sapphira, everything we know in Scripture, these are born-again Christians. They know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But they have an issue that Barnabas is getting too much attention. Barnabas is getting too much. People said, oh, look at what Barnabas did. And they said, we're just as good as Barnabas. We can give money as well. We can give property as well. We can do this ourselves. But we just don't need to give everything we've got. But we'll pretend like we are. And so they pretended to be one thing on Sunday morning when they were actually something else. And if God killed everybody who pretended on Sunday morning, uh-oh, do you think we would have masses wanting to show up here? Because if, if God started working in that capacity as he did then today, what would it do? It would cause a world around us. It would cause those of us here in this building to take very serious what it means to come before God. To come into what we say his presence and seek his face, right? Because God very well could spite every one of us who comes trying to appear one thing, but we are actually another. Because you and I have a responsibility under God. If you've been born again by the power of Jesus Christ, been filled with the Spirit of God, have the blood of Christ applied to your life, you have a responsibility under God to come before God Himself on this day, prepared to enter into His presence, equipped by the Holy Ghost to yield yourself to worship Him. How are we doing with it? I've been there where you're so busy all week long, and it's just like, Lord, I'm just lucky to get here today. Do you think that impresses him? I've been repentant on Saturday nights where I've been out too late, not resting like I should because I know tomorrow is Sunday, God's day, and I'm not spiritually ready because I have spent myself physically doing all this stuff that I wanted to do, and I'm saying, God, forgive me because I've got to stand to proclaim, Thus saith the Lord. You see, see there's, a, there's a way that we are to enter into his presence. See, you just can't fake it your whole life. If he is real, and he is, and he wants you to have his best in your life, and he does, there's a way that we must approach him. And it's not how Ananias and Sapphira approached it. You see, see, see what God is after, he's after your heart. 
Now, I alluded to this Wednesday night. I alluded to this Thursday night in discipleship class. But, but God, he wants your heart more than anything else. And our heart, if you understand the first time the heart is mentioned in the Bible, it's in Genesis chapter 6. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 6. The first time the word heart is mentioned in the Bible. 2 Chronicles 69 says, God, he's walking up and down these aisles right now, seeking those whose hearts are bent toward him, turned toward him. That's what he's doing. He's looking for your heart right now. And so the first time the word heart is used is important because, see, there's this word of first usage. There's this understanding. When a word is used the first time in the Scripture, it sets precedence on how the word is understood the rest of the time throughout the Word of God. And so when he says heart, he says there in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And then you look over in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21. Here, here's the third uses of the word heart. And it says, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imaginations or the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Three times the word heart is spoken of. He, he, he says your heart, your, your, your thoughts. When he talks about your, your, your heart and your, your thoughts, he, he's talking about your mind. When he talks about grieving the heart, he's talking about your emotion. When he talks about the imagination or the intent of the heart, he's talking about your will. Does this make sense according to Romans chapter 6, chapter 7? Because when God, he confronts you with your sin, he enters by your mind. He gives you an awareness of what sin is. And then that conviction builds up inside you. That passion wells up inside you. And it moves from your head knowledge all the way down into your heart. And then with your will, with an intent, you choose, you respond, you yield to Christ Jesus. It's your heart, it's your, it's your mind, your will, your emotion. That's what your heart is. That's what he wants. That's how you're saved. It takes all three, if it's the last. And so from the beginning, you see the same thing. He, he is seeking your heart. He is seeking a heart that is bent toward him. He is seeking a heart that has an intention that is to, to yield unto him. And so when we come together, we have to understand God is after our heart. You say, well, that's Old Testament, preacher. Guys, if you're listening to preachers who say the Old Testament doesn't matter, stop listening to them. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he did not come to do away with the law, the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. And you understand that two-thirds of our Bible is the Old Testament. And God gave it to us to learn from, to understand. So if we understand the old part, we understand with greater understanding what the new part is saying. And see, what we have to understand is how do you secure God's presence? When you come to this place, it's got to be more than just going through the motions. It's got to be more than just having the routine or singing the song how do you secure the presence of God because that's what we're here for and so God shows us what he is saying about his presence and so if you have your Bible still turn to Leviticus many people's favorite book in the Bible Leviticus chapter 16 because you find here in this one chapter what is involved with how you enter into the presence of God 
And everything that you find here in Leviticus chapter 16, it shows forth again over in the New Testament about how you and I, as children of God, how we enter into the presence of God. You see, see what it has to understand is this. We, we, we have forgotten that there is a reverence that we are to have when we come before God. We, we seem to lack this spiritual sensitivity but that God is holy and God is righteous and God is just. And we seem to have foregone this, this holy fear of God. And, and we, we, we think that, that his commands are just suggestions and we don't have to worry about it. But hear me, it says, apart from holiness, no man shall see God. You and I have to understand we serve a holy God. We serve a separate, distinct God. He is God Almighty. And we cannot approach him in our own flesh and in our own power. But in the holiness that he allows, my friends, we can come before him. But we need to know what it means to appropriate that in our lives day in and day out. We need to know what it means to be sanctified, set apart, separated unto him. So what are you separated unto? What are you set apart unto? How do you approach God? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so look at the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. Now, what's up with that verse? You remember Abad and Abihu? Is that the right words? His two sons, they brought strange fire, and God killed them. And, and he was saying the same thing with Ananias and Sapphira. He said, you don't approach me any way you want. You don't come before me saying, God, here it is. Take or leave it. Because he's liable to leave it. And leave you. And that's a scary thought. But they came before God after they had encountered the presence of God. After they had been set aside for, for the priesthood of God. They, they came before God offering what they decided they wanted to do. And, and God literally killed them right where they were. And, and so after that happened where God has said, you don't come any way you want to. There's a prescribed method of how you enter into my presence. And the Lord said unto Moses, speaking to Aaron, thy brother, and he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat. That he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. He said, you don't just show up any way you want to show up. You just don't come any way you want to come. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Here's the first way that you and I, born-again Christians, that we come before God, is we appropriated the grace of God. Now, we all love grace, don't we? I mean, it's amazing. Grace is what changes us. But see, see, you cannot appropriate grace in arrogance. You cannot appropriate grace in pride. You cannot appropriate grace with this mentality with, well, I'm going to do what I want, and if that preacher don't like it, so what? It's not about the preacher liking it. It's about Almighty God, my friends. 
And you have to understand, to appropriate the grace of God according to the Bible, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And to humble yourself means there is an act of submission on your life to God, to the Word of God, yielding your life. See, Aaron was instructed to, to, to offer an animal sacrifice for the atonement of sin. He, he was instructed the blood must be applied. And if you are to enter into the presence of God, the blood of Christ has got to be applied actively into your life. And as it's active applied into your life. You understand I believe what Jesus did for me. He died on Calvary's cross for me and therefore the grace of God can be extended into my life. But here's what he's saying. Examine your life. That's why we partake of the Lord's table. Examine your life and see if there's anything inside your life that is not right. Are you not loving God supremely with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your being? Is there any open immorality taking place in your life? Are you trying trying to live with somebody without being married? Are you trying to have sexual relationships with somebody and you're not married to them? Hear me, my friend. God says you cannot be a part of these things. Is there, is there failure in the stewardship of your life, in the stewardship of your time, in the stewardship of your time? Is there anything in your life that, that is displeasing? Do you love pleasure more than you love God? He says, so, 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 so you've got to look at these secret things, these things that we, we hide away. And you, 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 you make this sacrifice unto God. How? You make a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. You apply the grace. See, guys, grace just doesn't come because somebody says, Oh, I need a dose of grace today and I'm going to still live like I'm living. Grace comes as you submit yourself to the Lord. As you submit yourself to the Word. Grace is released. And grace works. Grace changes sinners into saints. Grace changes people into people. Grace works miraculously in your life to set you free from bondage. Grace is powerful. But you've got to appropriate grace. You've got to come before God and humbly come before God and say, God, here I am. I yield myself to you and to your word. And then he says, look what it says in verse 4. And ye, he shall put on the holy linen coat. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says put on righteousness. See the holy linen coat. Now I think this sweater is polyester. I think it is. It might be a mix. I don't know. Now these are wool. Do you know what wool means? Sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Polyester can it doesn't breathe. But linen God always says, you come before me in linen. Now, now, what's up with that little word linen? I don't know. I'm just telling you what I've studied. Linen breathes. Now, ladies, does that make sense? The type of fabric that it is, it is breathable. I mean, you put on the coat of linen. You put on the coat, the cloak of righteousness. And the breath of God can breathe in and out of your life. And the righteousness of God can manifest itself inside your life. You see, when I put on polyester, it causes me to sweat. When I wear wool, it causes me to sweat. And God cursed Adam at the beginning. And he said, you'll make your living by the sweat of your brow. You are going to work your way. He said, you don't work your way to me. You don't come to me in those things that make you sweat. You come to me wearing my righteousness and I'm breathing in and out of you and as I breathe in and out of you it's not by your works but it's by my grace that you've appropriated you see in that see, see, so he says, he says you put on righteousness 
you, you put on that full armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, it says, well, we put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, our, our, our belt, our waist tied with, with, with a belt of truth. Why? It all gets us to prayer. Everything about the armor, everything about being clothed, it gets us to prayer. Prayer gets us into the presence. And it's the presence that we are desperate for today as we live in a world that wants to deny his presence. And, and then look what he says. And you have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle. He says you put on truth and you put on honesty because you are with a belt of truth according to Ephesians chapter 6 and here he says you've got to put on truth and honesty you have this girdle this linen girdle or this sash and it covers the delicate areas of your life it covers those private areas you and I don't want to talk about he says but you've got to be truthful in private areas you've got to be honest you've got to be transparent with God there can't be this secret life. Y'all know anybody that lives a secret life? You know anybody that all of a sudden they get discovered and they've been living one way, but all of a sudden you find out, man, there's like two people? There's, there's something amiss here. So, so, so he says, if you are to approach God, if you are to enter into the presence of God, you appropriate the grace of God day after day. Not just at salvation, but day by day. And then it tells us that we are to put on righteousness, my friends. We are to be cloaked in this, this Holy Spirit, breathable righteousness that he breathes in and out of our lives. And then we put on truth and we put on honesty. We are transparent and we are clean before the Lord. And then he says again in verse 4, And with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. You have got to be clean with the word of God because the word of God works like a cleansing agent in your life and in my life. I was sitting at home today and I looked down and I had a coffee spot on my leg and I thought, wonder how I did that. It's amazing the whole cup wasn't poured upon me if my brother was here today. But anyway, that's another story. So, so I go in there and I get some water and I start dabbing it on my leg to get that spot. See, there's something about washing with the water of the Word, how God takes that and He breaks up those things that are in my life. He takes that water of the Word of God and He applies it to those areas of my life and I make the adjustment of myself to what the Word of God says. And He washes us. And He, he cleanses us. See, see, He says there has to be this, this, this purity and it comes through Scripture positionally. We have to be positioned in Christ Jesus practically. We need to be active in applying what Scripture says to our life. And personally, Lord, our attitude has got to be adjusted to what the Word of God says. And all of this is just to come before Him and to approach Him. That's it. Just to get in His presence. But when you've ever been in his presence, it's worth everything that we go through. Because when he envelops your life, in that moment when all you can do is lay on your face and exalt him, if you've never experienced that, then you've never experienced the closeness that he can give you. And then he says, 
Look at verse 12 and 13. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil. Incense is always about prayer. And what he's saying is, he says, now when you come before me, you come with worship and with praise unto God. Now when you get these first four issues in line, this was going to happen. You see, here's what we try to do, though. We want to ignore appropriating the grace of God by submitting ourselves, by yielding ourselves. We want to ignore the righteousness that we're supposed to apply into our life. We're, we're trying to ignore the cleansing that only comes by being washed in the Word of God and, and being honest and truthful. And when we ignore any of those things, worship doesn't happen. Now, we can sing, we can clap our hands, we can put our hands up, we can say amen, we can listen to the preacher preach, we can even shout, but that doesn't mean we worship God. Because these have got to be real in your life before you can personally encounter the living God and let God be in that place of your life whereby he will speak, he will breathe into you and he will work his grace in your life in a very real way. You see, because worship honors him. Worship is not for what it does to you. It's not about you or me. It's about him. And we have got that backwards in a lot of places. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about exalting him in my life. And, and, and then look what it says in verse 17. And there shall no man in the tabernacle, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation. When you go in, I can't go in taking charge. I go in separated unto God. I hope she goes in. I can't do it for her. I can't do it for my kids. You can't do it for her. You teach them. You instruct them. You guide them. But hear me. There has to be this point of separation where you come before God and you separate yourself as this priest there in verse 17. When you go in to make an atonement in the holy place, you prepare yourself to enter the presence of God. You separate yourself from the distractions of life. Are you? Are you separating yourself? Are you coming to this place in a position where if God chooses to pass by, you'll be there? That's how you access his presence. And then look what it says in verse 18 and 19. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take of the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. I don't know if you've studied the tabernacle, if you've ever seen pictures of the, of the, the golden, the brazen altar with the horns that come up on each side. It's always just this magnificent golden altar. It doesn't look like that. It's bloody. And every picture I've seen of it, it doesn't have any blood stains on it. But we're talking hundreds of thousands of animals that have been sacrificed. It's a bloody altar. The horns of the altar represent the power of God. 
And so what he says is, you have to make the sacrifice to cover your sin, to cover the sin of the people, what it was in the Old Testament time. You have to make the sacrifice, but you've got to believe it's sufficient. And so in order to access the presence, you've got to believe. You've got to believe in your mind, which has moved by conviction to your heart and by an act of surrender of your will to God. You, you've got to believe that, that it is sufficient because see, if the priest went into the Holy of Holies and he did not believe, he would die. It makes it a little bit different, wouldn't it? If it's like, okay, before you come into this sanctuary, you better believe you're right. And it might not be many in here. But do you believe in the sufficiency of the blood of Christ? I hope so. Because that's the only way you go to heaven. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. By the sufficiency of the blood. Do you believe in the sufficiency of the word of God? I hope so because it's without error from cover to cover. I hope you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and God will use Scripture to speak into your heart and into your life whereby you can look to Him and, and you can hear Him when He speaks. Do you believe in the Do you believe God? I didn't say do you believe in God. We've got a whole generation that believes in God. They can tell you about Jesus died on the cross. They believe in Him in their head, but it's never moved to their heart where this conviction of the life is. He died for me. He arose again from the dead for me that I can know God. He, that, that, that you have to believe beyond your mind to believe in your heart do you believe in your heart or is it just intellectual just like you believe in abraham lincoln or george washington see, see, so, so, so when the when the priest goes in to make sacrifice he had to believe it for himself see you got to believe it for yourself not because mom and dad said it but because the spirit of god has quickened you to understand you have to have faith because, you see, you are dealing with the very power of God. And, and the blood was sprinkled seven times. Seven is the number of per per perfection. Jesus died on the cross, my friend. It was complete. It was perfect. It was effective. Do you believe that? Has it affected you? Because, guys, if, if you tell me you believe it, but it does not affect you in how you live, then there's a disconnect in what you're believing because belief in Christ with conviction in the heart, man, it's radical. It changes us. It makes us into that new creation. And we have put on Christ Jesus. And at that process, we are putting off the old man. And guess what? Tomorrow, I do it one more time again. Because the old man never goes away. He's always there trying to seduce me, trying to lure me, trying to woo me back. And then look what it says in verse 25. And the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar. Now, but, all right, you cook that steak, and you got a little bit of fat on there. Now, I know none of you all like to eat that fat when it just kind of runs down, and you're just, what in the world is he talking about the fat? He's talking about the excess. God likes the excess. Because, see, that's where the glory is. 
It's in the excess. And God says, when you come before me, you make sure that you acknowledge me, you give me glory, you give me honor, you give me the excess. Do not try to take it. Do not try to touch it for yourself. Do not try to get it. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with, with Reverend Cho. He he's pastors the largest church in the world in South Korea. And last I heard, there were 700,000 plus members. They started literally on a trash heap. They have what they call Prayer Mountain. And it's this place on the, the mountains where they have built a building, just like a, 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 not like this, not elaborate, but a place where people go and they pray. And they said, any day you'll have 10,000 people on Prayer Mountain praying. On weekends, you'll have twenty to 30,000 people on Prayer Mountain praying. They got 700,000. And he said, the three ingredients for our church is this. Number one, it is prayer. Number two, it is small groups. We would be a small group from 700,000. And number three, nobody touches the glory. So when you sing, you're not singing to be bragged on. When you preach, you're not preaching to be bragged on. Whatever you do, you're not doing it to be bragged on because nobody Let's apply it. So what do we do with our excesses? What do we do with beyond the tithe? God says, I want excess. Give me glory. You want to come into God's presence? Here's what he says. This is how it transpires. This is how you secure the presence of God. And, and then look what it says in verse 26. And he that go, and he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. So, so, so here you go. You, you, you wash in the Word. You say, well, preacher, we've already done that. Well, see, the first time that you washed in the Word was for cleansing. Now you're washing in the Word to appropriate the promises of the Word. There is a difference. You can't get to the promises until the cleansing comes into your life. And see, see, now you pray based on what the Word of God says, based on what the promises of God speaking to you. So, so, so he says, you want to come before me? This is what you have to be doing. This is what you need to be seeking after. And then look what it says in verse 32. Hello? And the priest whom he shall anoint and whom shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar and he shall make an atonement for the priest and for the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting lasting statue unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. You remain in the anointing of God. You remain abiding in Christ.
Christ. You continue in your relationship, walking in harmony with the Holy Spirit day in, day out, and the anointing resides on one's life. And as soon as I step out of the Spirit, I step out of the anointing. So that's why it's important that we walk daily in the Spirit, yielding unto what God's Word has said. We live in this constant state of communion with God, that when you get up in the morning and you head to the bathroom, your first words in your mouth are, help me, Lord Jesus, this day, and let it be a glory unto you. And as you're driving to your workplace or to your school place, you're not listening to all these things of the world, but you're in communion with the Father, seeking His mind, praying through the issues that are coming in life. And throughout the day, you've got this constant habit of communion going on in your life to when you pillow your head at night. He says, you, you live in this manner. You live in this fashion. You live in this style. And, and, and he said, and this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. Every year, the priest, the high priest did this for the children of Israel. Listen to me. Jesus Christ, when he sat down at the right hand of God, when he died on Calvary's cross, he did it one time. He said, to Telestai, paid in full. It is finished. We don't have to do it once a year. We get to walk in it every day. You have to choose not to come to church and fake it. You have to make a choice. It's about him. And I will prepare myself lest I miss him. Now here's what people seem to forget. Accidents happen. Tragedies happen. Difficulties arise. So if you are not abiding in relationship with God, when it happens, how can you pray through? So you walk in this anointing. And it's not that you've got goosebumps on your life all the time. But you're walking in harmony in the Spirit so that you are enabled by God at any moment to bring the petition to the Father. Father, we bow before you this morning. God, I pray that you teach us what it means to secure your presence, what it means to enter into your presence. Father, I ask you that you will just show us. God, just show up and demonstrate yourself. Mighty to save, mighty to heal, mighty to deliver. And Father, if there's one here who is struggling, God, with an issue, with a situation, with a sin, God, I pray, God, even this day, by your convicting power, they'll obey you. They'll appropriate grace by submitting to you in repentance. Father, I come before you and I thank you. Father, I pray that you just be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing the invitation hymn. If God's spoken to your heart, obey him. Don't put it off. Obey the Lord as he's spoken.